0: Pull yourself up a chair and join us at the Energy Roundtable.
1: Welcome to Energy Roundtable, and we're going to jump right in. And I have my uh, constant guest, uh, never fails to disappoint, Lisa Katz. Welcome to the Energy Roundtable.
2: Thank you very much, Matt. How are you doing? I feel like I haven't seen you in a while.
1: It has been a while. You had some vacation, I think, and then you were um, at, uh, at a conference this week. Let's, talk, let's start there. Let's talk about that.
2: Yeah, so I was at the uh, IDEA conference. So for those of you that may not be familiar with it, it stands for International District Energy Association. Uh, Very good conference. It was held in Austin, Texas. And I have to say, man, I miss seeing people. (laughs) And you know what it's like with conferences, right? You know, you go and uh, you get to see everybody in one place instead of going right. to different locations all the time. So, no, it was great, uh, great discussion, lots of discussion about hydrogen-fueled CHP, obviously district energy as the, you know, IDA might suggest. Right. Um, lots of discussion about uh, RNG as well. Um, and just these kind of uh, renewable fuels that, of course, will be used in CHP moving forward. So, yeah, it was a great conference. Uh, Great to catch up with many of the exhibitors and, uh, of course, you know, our friends and and I'll call them family of CEMs. So, yeah, it was it was well worth it. I'm glad I went.
1: That's great. Did you have anybody that you interacted with and they're like, hey, and you totally out of context, didn't know who they were?
2: Uh, No, but interestingly enough, I saw some old faces that I just didn't realize, you know, where they were. So. Um, one of the guys that I used to work with at Express Integrate Technologies, Jose, he's working for Rentec. And so I, I approached oh, the booth yeah, and yeah. I, I saw him and I went, Jose, and I gave him a big hug and it was just really cool to see him. And then there's another gentleman that used to work for Dresser. Um, and so this was actually when I was working for DCL. And so Jim Stanley is now working for UE compression. And I, we kind of ran into each other and he went, Lisa? And I went, Jim? Absolutely. And so that was kind of cool to to yeah. bang into some people that I didn't even realize were you know in some different companies. So it's cool, yeah, it was good.
1: And the and the the big themes that we've been talking about around our different kind of discussions, they you know kind of carried through. Any kind of big revelations, any kind of stuff that we haven't been talking about. No,
2: not that. not really, I would say, I mean, everything we've been talking about, I think uh, there's a lot of discussion about industrial heat pumps, a lot of discussion about uh, from several uh, OEMs on hydrogen-fueled CHP, really good presentations from people like Ineo and Baker Hughes. Um, so it was just kind of great to for people to almost reiterate what you and I have been discussing on a lot of these episodes uh, and sort of the information that we've been sort of putting out to our listeners. Um, so no, I think overall it was a good show, and you know, excited to see what the um, the next one uh, cool. looks like. Yeah, good,
1: good, awesome. Well, thanks for uh, for giving us the, the the quick recap there. Let's uh, let's dive right into our articles. I will uh, I will start. I have an article from the Wall Street Journal uh, from yesterday, the 30th of September, and the, the headline is Biden's energy price shock. And the uh, sub-headline is his policies are already contributing to global oil supply shortages. And so the the, com- the conversation is around, you know, crude, I guess, just hit $80 a barrel, crude oil, uh, not an index we follow terribly much, although it does impact a lot of the stuff we have in, in the western part of Canada in particular. But um, And OPEC is signaling that it could go higher. Um, and so mm. the opening uh, observation is uh, so much for the death of crude oil and uh and fossil fuels in general so you know it goes through kind of some of the the recent you know fuel shortages uh, across all of uh, all the world really in europe uh they're big on they don't have their own domestic supply so natural gas and lng is big and that's getting pinched uh asia and europe are having to burn more coal to keep the lights on but coal is also in short supply um so goldman sachs is really um predicting that uh you know, oil, oil could hit $90 a barrel by the end of the year. Wow. Um, wow. That, for those of you, you know, driving um, around this weekend, that could be 10 or 20 cents a gallon. Now, that's by the end of the year. But that starts to uh, really percolate uh, through quite a bit. Um, so, that those are big dollars, right? The, it's funny. The article, the headline is uh, or the picture is a, a gas station in Beverly Hills, California, where regular gasoline is uh, $5 a uh This is so interesting, it's $5 a gallon, but full serve is $6 a gallon. That's a massive delta. And I think that has to do with the issue of uh, of uh, labor shortage. But uh, anyways, I'm now uh, editorializing as we go. But um, basically, it, it goes on to talk about how the big problem is that U.S. oil productions are down considerably by 15% from pre-pandemic levels. And so really, the the thesis of the article is that um, you know, oil and crude is not going away. There's a line in the article that says Nigerians and Guatemalans won't be driving Teslas. Um, and the reality is global demand for these things. opec is is predicting an eight percent increase over the next twenty years. So you know mm. these, these policies like it's it's just a reminder of of how global our energy world is, and that, yes, as North Americans, we can make uh, the decision to be, you know green and to really uh, trim our supply of of fossil reserves. Uh, but that's just going to trickle out elsewhere, right? You know, it's going to—it's so we have to really take a holistic approach if we can. Um, but you know that, so so we're starting to see that worldwide. So it's it's interesting, you know. Uh, we're not we're not we can't be isolationist. We have to be uh, we're working together as a global community. So really cool yeah. article.
2: Very, very interesting. And it kind of leads me into the my article, actually, quite nicely. Um, the uh, So the article is titled Ultimate Irony, Climate Change Forcing Cold-Fired Comeback in Many Regions. It was issued, I think, in early September. I think it's uh, maybe around September the 10th by Power Engineering. Uh, so for those of you who want to check it out, feel free to take a look at the link that we'll put in the notes. Um, but essentially what they're talking about is that extreme or dramatic weather events that are kind of uh coming out of you know climate change are forcing coal to come back um and sustaining gas fire generation in many regions this year. And they kind of specify three different areas. So there's one in Chile where I guess some coal fired generation uh was required uh, based on some a drought and uh the the pinches that it created in the hydropower um that that basically almost brought it to a standstill. Wow. In Britain the, the grid system was forced to re-engage the coal-fired west burton a power plant after some hot weather stilled the wind turbines and then gas prices went through the roof and this past winter as many of us know freezing weather in the us uh the us southwest caused plants to all of all resources to trip offline but coal plants stepped up to take a larger portion of the load so It's kind of interesting and it's a lot of, you know, it kind of comes back to a lot of what we've discussed in the past, you know, this resiliency and it's nice to think about renewables and decreasing carbon, but, you know, wind, you know, might not work, solar might not work. Um, And while I don't think that necessarily we want to rely on coal because there's cleaner sources like natural gas-fired power plants, it just shows why other technologies need to be used in the mix. And because I was at the IDA conference, I'll actually quote something um, that uh, is in the – hold on a second. It's in the District Energy magazine. So for those of you that were at the show, you might have picked up a version or a copy of this. Um, But Robert Thornton, who is the president and CEO – just using a who quote. Wasn't he wasn't
0: there, by the way?
1: Right, he's been no, a guest he on the podcast. Great guy. I forget which episode it was, but uh, he he was out with some uh, some back issues, right?
2: Yeah, and and Pascal, uh, who attended it with me, our uh, director of cogeneration, he um, he mentioned that he had heard somewhere that he had had some sort of form of a surgery or something.
1: Oh, okay.
2: And so that that was part of the reason he couldn't attend. Because I when I first saw the pres- his virtual presentation come up, I thought why is he not here? Like he right. should be here, but the that kind part. of explains yeah. things. So did you,
1: did um, you meet, and- did you meet his, did you meet the uh, replacement MC? My, my, uh, my friend, uh, Tim?
2: No, I did not actually.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. He's, uh, yeah, well, uh, that's a, that's a, he, he literally wrote the book on millennials in, uh, in engineering literally oh. wrote the, uh, really, really cool guy. Uh, anyways, back to uh, the the District Energy Magazine. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, commercial. no, that's
2: that's good, interesting. Um, but the quote, basically from Robert, which I think just kind of highlights everything we've talked talked about, and kind of goes back to this article is the global problem of climate change will require an all of the above approach. No single technology will be sufficient. So again, we've talked about it many times, but just a, another reason why you know gas power fired power plants shouldn't necessarily be going away. Uh, maybe they use alternative fuel sources, um, but you know, just to rely on one specific um, technology source is really going to put us in a in a bad position if that's uh, you know the way that uh, we decide to go.
1: Yeah, you you mentioned uh, in your recap that you know wind doesn't work, solar doesn't work, and I, I think the real the real story is that they don't work on their own, right? And, that's right. And They they obviously work. They wouldn't be built out as as, and that's not what you were saying. the The key is that the, it's this sweet – it's this complicated suite of technologies, and it's this um, you know complicated, interconnected global energy environment that we live in. Um, so yeah, it's interesting that coal is <laughs> is making, making a comeback. Um, so somewhere somewhere Loretta Lynn is happy about that. Um, <laughs> so in terms of different technologies and different fuels, and I'm starting to think a lot about uh the energy market in terms of electrons and molecules and and at CEM we really have a a feel for the molecules side of the uh, equation so so this is a, an article uh, from Zach's Equity Research I think um, and uh, the, the headline is Enbridge partners with Vanguard to supply RNG in the US mm. so this is the US, US version of Enbridge uh, who we know well uh, they've partnered with Vanguard Renewables another Company that we uh, we have done some work for over the years, yeah. Uh, and and per the deal, Enbridge will buy more than two billion with a B cubic feet of RNG per year. So um, for those keeping track at home, uh, that is two trillion um, BTUs per year of RNG, uh, and and this and it'll it'll come from eight of their digesters. Uh, located in the Northeast, Southeast and the Midwest of of the US. Um, So Vanguard will invest $200 million to build digesters and uh, Enbridge will invest $100 million in upgrading stations. So Enbridge is a pipeline company. They'll build the upgraders, they'll build the uh, the injection stations. Vanguard will build the uh, upstream anaerobic digesters. And it'll be really a lot of food waste, dairy waste, organic waste, um and and the the, the the play here is that vanguard really has the brand in the market they can get access to the feedstocks. they can roll out there and and talk to you know they talk about unilever uh starbucks uh, probably have heard of them dairy farmers of america so there's all these massive brands that vanguard already knows and so now they've bought they have somebody to to, to buy the gas what's not clear is you know the price point of the gas like these yeah. projects don't make gas at three or four or five bucks in a MMBTU. Um, but there must be some agreed upon and, and, and they must be selling the, the credit, the renewable credit. So uh, this is kind of a, a BFD uh, in the biogas space as far as I'm concerned. So really, yeah. really exciting.
2: Yeah. I think that's uh, I agree, Matt. Very, very exciting. And, um, You know, I think that uh, hopefully this will set the stage for Enbridge to become, you know, a little bit like California or a little bit like Fortis BC, where they're buying more gas from even other people, because the more gas we get into the pipeline, the more, you know, talking about, you know, technologies that provide resiliency, the easier it becomes for an engine or a gas turbine, for example, to run on that RNG molecule, right, Uh, Right. for its environmental benefits. So, yeah, yeah, it's exciting.
1: It's interesting what you say there about that because, you know, we've been talking to clients and hearing stories like clients, people who are consuming molecules don't want to change for the most part. They don't want to change the devices that are so they don't want, you know, the hydrogen play is, is, is going to be interesting to watch because people if they've been burning CH4 in a boiler to make high pressure steam. They don't really want to change that, right? At least, you know, unless they have to at a boiler replacement juncture. So to go to electric, to go to hydrogen is going to be, so that's why RNG is exciting. Let's put it in the pipe somewhere. Let's take it out agnostic to what where it came from, but get it in the pipe, pull it out as CH4 and burn it as we always have. So yeah, it's gonna be interesting yeah. to watch.
2: Yeah, cool. So my, my second article, it's um, actually right from ADCO's website, and it uh, was actually released a couple of days ago. It's uh, on September the 29th, this was released. So ADCO group to build Western Canada's largest urban solar project in Calgary. So the article basically talks about the ADCO group uh, through its investment in Canadian Utilities Limited. They announced that they will be acquiring the rights to build two solar installations in Calgary. And of course they're aimed at providing clean renewable energy to Alberta's power grid and supporting the transition to low carbon energy. Um, These will be at the Barlow and Deerfoot solar projects, where that's what they're being called. It'll be the largest solar installation in a major urban center in Western Canada. And from a megawatt perspective, it'll be 27 and 37 megawatts respectively. So pretty big. Um, And and the announcement also uh, follows ATCO's recent acquisition of a solar project near Empress in Eastern Alberta and the completion of two solar projects in uh, Canada's North. So, exciting news, I think, from ATCO. Um, obviously, from a megawatt perspective, we're getting, you know, that's pretty big. Um, and I think the reason I really just like the article is um, when we, you know, when we think about ATCO, either as the utility or the non-regulated side, they're uh, really stepping up to this resiliency piece, and they're actually acquiring and, and interested in investing in, you know, multiple um, assets and technologies, which is really cool. So, you know, for those of you that may not be paying, you know, a lot of attention to the news, they've got lots of RNG projects going on. They've got, you know, obviously the solar, there's lots going on in the, uh, you know, under the ADCO umbrella. And I think that makes it very exciting.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, do they say if it's ground mounted or, or roof mounted?
2: I believe this is ground mounted. It's uh, oh. the the picture at least that they show in uh, in the article, it's, uh, it's, it's showing ground mounted solar and okay. it's uh, it's occupying quite a bit of space let me tell you yeah,
1: yeah. well it's, when i heard urban i just assumed uh roof mounted right so yeah uh, ground mounted i mean there is a lot of unusable space i think in calgary because of you know elevation changes and things like mm-hmm. that so very cool uh very good well thank you for for sharing your articles with us and uh let's move to the final segment of our round table which is our face-off. face off insert uh graphic this graphic here, here. <laughs> Mark,
0: welcome to the round table. Hello, ladies and gentlemen.
2: Hello, Mark. How are you?
0: I'm well. How are you guys?
2: I'm good. I'm good.
0: Good. So face off, pros and cons. I think uh, by now most people should know uh, what happens here. We pick a topic, flip a coin, and today, who called last time? I think.
2: I think I did.
0: Okay. I well, then we'll it. let, we'll let Matt, Matt call heads or tails.
2: <laughs>
0: oh. Heads it is tails oh you yeah. know why
2: this happened because normally he calls tails and i call heads so this is why it happened
0: and <laughs> so it wins is that what you're saying
2: <laughs> yeah exactly
0: so um so today's topic which I, I don't even think i mentioned was um free healthcare. um i guess we should put in quotations the word free because it's technically like not free but i'm sure one of you will, will mention that um so do you want for the pros or the cons lisa
2: well i really could argue both and uh and I'll go into why I, can, I could argue both, but I, I just I think I'll choose the con side for now oh. uh, because I've been personally affected in the past. I a couple of years ago, I uh, I broke my back for, for maybe listeners who may or may not know. Uh, for so our listeners
1: kidding. who don't know, Lisa does everything really well, including breaking bones. Like, you know, don't break an arm, don't break a leg, yeah. break a back. Like That's you right. know, if I if I'm Lisa, and I'm going to break a bone. I'm going to break a back. Sorry, I'm just trying to throw you off your game.
2: <laughs> so so for you know for those who might be curious, I broke uh, was it my transverse process L3 and L4, so the lump lower part of the lumbar spine. Um, no surgery was required, but uh, I was basically either on crutches or on a walk using a walker for close to six months. Made it really hard for me to uh, get in front of clients and you know do what I love um so anyways i was directly affected by it so what i can say is that you kind of get what you pay for and what i mean by that is i went from doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor and it was very hard to get a diagnosis of what had actually happened nobody could see things on x-rays for whatever reason and mris and i went for different mris for different areas and when you have free healthcare in canada Maybe for our us listeners they uh they could appreciate this piece you're in, in a lot of waiting lines to constantly get whatever you're trying to get whether it's an mri or an x-ray x-rays might be faster mris are a little bit slower mm-hmm. so i ended up paying for an mri so that i could actually get to the front of the list essentially and unfortunately, the part of the body that they MRI'd, because they do things in sections and not your whole body, still didn't reveal what had actually happened. So I finally had a bone scan probably two months after the initial incident. And that is how they actually diagnosed me. So for that reason, I think that, and this is where I can get a little bit controversial, but for those that can afford to pay for it, you get the quality, you get the, you know, the, the, uh, you know, people obviously can get, to, to be seen faster. Um, and, uh, but of course there's, you know, there's other, you know, there's other cons obviously to free care healthcare. Um, you know, people obviously do visit hospitals, um, you know, um, uh, in, in the case of free healthcare, a, a lot more, uh, frequently than visiting their doctor and that can overwhelm the healthcare system and for those who really need it in Canada. So that's a big thing. And, um, I think it just, you know, obviously free healthcare also consumes a large part of the government's budget and uh, that's not something that in different countries you may have to worry about as much. So I'll leave it as that. Hmm.
1: So um, thank you for that. Um, I am obviously, uh, for the purposes of this discussion, I am uh, pro-free healthcare, which probably better stated uh, as single-payer healthcare uh, is, I think, the technical term here in Canada. And uh, I'm, I'm... we're all still in the pandemic, so I'm I'm trying to be a, a dad and a uh, participant in the roundtable. Um, anyways, uh, I think and the single rate, you know, payer healthcare really means that everybody has access to it. And so the reality is, there are certain things in life that I think are, um, you know, should be accessed by certain people, um, and and you know, we we should have you know certain levels of access. But I don't think it should apply to healthcare.
0: Um,
1: I think that anybody that needs to get into the uh, hospital system should be able to do that. They should be able to do that regardless of what their bank account says, uh, regardless of where they come from. Because to me, uh, health like education is a human right. Everybody should have a chance to participate and to get uh, good access. And uh, yes, as an engineer, I'd love to work for a private healthcare system because they have more money to spend on sexy hospitals and all that stuff. Uh, but it is my belief and contention that, and it also provides a single payer healthcare provides the uh, the the government a bit more control over how it's rolled out. And in the case of a pandemic, you can provide a bit more of a controlled uh, approach. You can you just gotta when you need to kind of in a pandemic kind of recoil and have a bit more of a centralized approach to control. You can do that, I think, better through a, a single payer. Uh, healthcare system. So I, I've just, you know, had exposure to a lot of stories where, you know, if we didn't have access, um, there'd be some sad stories. So I think the single payer uh,
0: system is is a good one. So I'll I'll leave my case there. Oh, you, this is a tough one for me. <laughs> um, again, I'd love some sort of hybrid system, but and the other thing is debt too. Some people, like especially when. You know, if you if you don't have this type of healthcare that we have here, you can something happen, you break a bone and then you end up with debt and you can't even pay it off. Right. So, um, yeah, I think ultimately I would say I'm, I am have to go with the pros for this one, even though the wait times drive me bonkers. Um, I think we have it pretty good here. Uh, otherwise, I know, Lisa, you had an unfortunate story. I'm sure there's lots of those, but I'm sure the, uh, the good outweigh the bad in this case.
2: Yeah, and what's actually interesting is, so my grandfather, when he was alive, had a quadruple bypass surgery. Of course, here in Canada, it was it's free. In the U.S., that would have cost over $100,000. So, yeah. as I said at the beginning, I could argue both points, but for me, because of, of my more recent experience, which was still yep. about three years ago, that's why I took that stance.
0: <laughs> now, obviously, incentives would be different for doctors, right, in in, in privatized uh, healthcare than it would be in, in uh you know free healthcare, i guess as well maybe but
1: anyway well uh thank you both and i think it would be most appropriate to close this energy round table by uh thanking our doctors and our nurses and all of our healthcare workers who have been a uh, part in my french uh, working their ass off for the last uh you know two years now uh in the face of a, a global pandemic and uh i hope the uh the the counseling services are there to help them with uh their ptsd and i'm not making light of that i'm saying they they have been through hell and uh i hope they get the the support they need once we get all through this and thank you to all of them for all they've done and thank you to our listeners for listening and thank you to lisa and mark uh for contributing as always we'll uh we'll gather again next week to talk about the news and notes of the the week in energy thank you all
2: no problem